Why is it that Christians so often fall into sin, into serious sins? Why do we do those things again that we have renounced so many times? Why do we find that that doing some of the most basic things of our Christian life is hard and difficult? Why do we see that so often our hearts just languish and we can't lift them up to the Lord? Why can we not do like some of the basics and just pray or even remember to pray? And our text gives us the answer to that today. And that is because to do those things involves a war. It is a fight. It is a struggle. It is a battle. It is hard. It is difficult. And it is a challenge. And if we are going to follow the way of the Lord in this world, we are going to have to struggle for it. We are going to have to fight for it. We are going to have to engage in a war. Now, to understand that, we need to begin with the idea of liberation. You know, in 1990, the Allied troops gathered on the border of Kuwait and they launched an all-out assault on the Iraqi forces there. And they completely routed them, went well into Iraq, and they liberated the nation of Kuwait. It was no longer under the control of Iraq. It became its own independent nation once again. And that's something of what has happened for us. And that's what Paul develops here, this idea of liberation from a power that had dominated us. Now, the question, the, the, his explanation for that begins with a question in Romans 6 and verse 15. He says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And that's based on what he said in verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. And so there's the idea, well, we don't have to worry about the law. We don't have to worry about God's law. So, well, then should we go on sinning? Well, he goes on to explain in verse 16, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so he says that there are not, there's not just one master, there's not many masters, but ultimately there's only two masters. There are ultimately only two services, and there are only two results of that service. Now, we may think that we can be our own master, but the fact is we cannot. We are either going to serve God or the devil. We are either going to serve righteousness or sin. We are only going to go in one of two directions, towards life or towards death. We're moving towards God or away from God. Now, think of this in an analogy. Um, Let's say that someone's here in the United States and and they said, you know, are you going to follow the laws of the United States? And you say, well, I think I'll just be neutral on that fact. I'll just, you know, do what I want and not worry about it too much. Well, you could try that. But the United States government might have a different idea about that. You've got to recognize that you're either going to follow the laws or you're not. You're going to recognize the authority of the government or not. And there will be consequences in in each case. You can't just be neutral towards the United States government if you're going to live here. And so it is with God. It's his world. We can't just be neutral towards it. We're either going to follow him or we're not. We're going to either serve him or we're going to serve sin. You can't just decide. You'll be outside of it. But what Paul says to the people in Rome here, the people in the church in Rome, 
Notice that uh, this is a letter that Paul is writing. It's not, he didn't write a book. He didn't write a booklet. He wrote a letter to a specific group of people in a specific time in the first century for a specific purpose. To explain to them the good news that he had proclaimed to everybody so that he could help get their help in going on to Spain to preach the gospel. That's what he wanted to do. And so in this letter, he says to them that you were slaves of sin, but something has happened. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance. In other words, you rejected the idea of following the Lord, but now God called you and you obeyed it. And how did that happen? Thanks be to God. It was His liberation. He is the one who broke your chains. Now, God gave a big illustration of what this looks like in the Old Testament. It's called, we call it the Exodus. When the people were brought out of slavery in Egypt into become the servants of the Lord God. And uh, that's what's described in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 42. He says, because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. He goes on to say, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. In other words, they were slaves in Egypt. They were under their domination. And God brought them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm so that they could be his servants and serve him and do what was good for them, and what would be blessed. And that's what God has done for us. He's the God of the Exodus is still alive. When people are stuck in sin, he's the one who liberates them. And that happens throughout our lives. He's the God of liberation. We should not see ourselves when we feel like we're stuck in the old patterns of of ways of living, in old relationships, in old patterns of, of organizations or nations or churches, but that God is the God who can liberate We can say, thanks be to God, over and over again, because he liberates us from that power of darkness. And so that's what we can say today. If we've come to know Jesus Christ, then we can say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God, that he is, though we were slaves to sin, yet we have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that now has claimed your allegiance. So that's what we can say as the church. And I I would consider that each one of you should consider Can you say that today? Can you say, I have been liberated. I was once a slave from sin, but I've been made free from sin. Thanks be to God. He's brought me, he's given me a new heart that's now able to be in allegiance, in allegiance to him. That is the work of God. And what does that look like? I was thinking about my friend, Bob. Now, if you you met my friend, Bob, uh, before he was liberated as from a, to be from being a slave to sin to a slave to a servant of Christ, you wouldn't necessarily think he was the like the worst person you ever met. I mean, he was kind of living a normal middle class American life, but he was also found that he was continually looking to find some sort of hope and peace, and he found that primarily in alcohol, and that was his master, you might say, as he served that. But then he began to hear about Christ. And he found that there was another way to hope and peace. It wasn't, he didn't have to go to that substance, but he could go to the Lord and find hope and peace in him. And he told me that one day 
that he finally, all this came to, to, um, to fruition in his life. And he broke down in tears over his sin. He gave his life to Christ. And he never went back to alcohol to be his savior any longer. It was no longer his source of joy and peace. The Lord had delivered him and brought him into that life. Now, what about someone who, what does liberation look like for someone like myself and, and many, many that I grew up knowing who uh, received Christ at a young age and have always sought to follow him, albeit with errors, with falls and so on? What does it look like for them? Well, you know, one of the things is there's the specific challenges of youth. And, you know, a lot of people fall into particular sins because of their youth. And I remember growing up with, with some of my friends and saying, man, what is going to become of these people? You know, it's like just seeing like they go off way off in the deep end. And but yet then they, you'd see that they would like say, man, this is not where I want to be. And they come back to Christ and you can see that the Lord is working. And it's interesting to see, like watching them over time. It's kind of been a cool thing as I've kind of had a I kind of had a separation from from some of my friends just moving on to different places and getting reacquainted with them and finding like, well, that life in Christ that, that was put in them in Christ, that liberation that they experienced kept liberating them. They kept being freed and they kept going forward and they kept seeking the Lord. They fell, but they got up. They fell into error, but then they were corrected. They sinned, but they repented. And the work of God kept going in them. The Lord kept being faithful, bringing them back when they wandered away. That's the power of Christ's liberation. That it's going to keep bringing us back to where we need to be. That's what happens when we are liberated. Now, you think about this. If you really get this teaching, and you say we've been liberated from to be slaves of sin, and now to serve Christ, to live for God, and then, then who's really going to say who gets that? Well, why don't we just go on sinning? It's what you've been liberated from. And if you get that point, you're not going to want to go back. But that's not all that Paul says. He says there's specific results that come from being a slave to sin. And there's specific results that come from being a slave to God. And those things also motivate us to say no to sin. So what are the results of sin? Where does it lead? Well, he says in verse 19 that it leads to ever-increasing wickedness. In other words, that when we indulge something that is contrary to what we're meant to be, it tends to have a power that takes over and takes us further. One person said that when it takes takes a hold, it takes us farther than we'd ever thought we'd go, makes us stay longer than we ever thought we would stay, and makes us pay more than ever we ever thought we would pay. And you can see this when someone turns their, their work, for example, into an idol. And, you know, work is good. It's created by God to do good and significant things. But just like every good thing, it becomes an idol sometimes. And then all of a sudden, you've got to make sacrifices. You make sacrifices of your children. You make sacrifice of your, of your, of your spouse, your marriage, and of your health. And that's how things take over when we let them be the center of our lives rather than the Lord. But then he says also that sin, slavery to sin leads to shame. Verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time? The things you are now ashamed of. And you know, anybody who's lived in this world a little bit of time knows what this means. To say, we all have things that we've done that we feel ashamed of. That we wouldn't want to stand up here and, and share. I was talking to a, 
And not all of those are even sinful, but just things that we've experienced that like we wouldn't want anybody to see that we've done that. He's talking to a young man this week and he was telling me and he's telling me like just the depths he had to go when he was in poverty. And it was like, man, I just don't want anybody to know. But how much worse when it's something that we've done with our will and because of our mistakes, we all have those things. And so that's the that's where it leads. It leads to shame. So why would we take it up again? Finally, it says it leads to death. Those things result in death. Of course, we know that the wages of sin is death, as he said, and all sin is worthy of condemnation, but also it works death. It's not just that we get the penalty of death, but that it separates us from God, it separates us from others, it separates us from ourselves. It is a death-working thing, sin is. Now, I heard an interesting story this, this week. And to kind of illustrate this, I'm not saying that this is exactly the thing, but it's a, meant to be an illustration of the point. So um, there, was, there was a woman, and she was able to be a caretaker for her grandma. And she, because of their insurance, she was actually able to get paid for that. She said, I would have done it anyways, but it's also nice to get paid. And because her, her grandma is in bad health, she had COPD, and um, she has two oxygen tanks a day that she has, she has to have. And so she can't do much, and so she needs help. But she keeps smoking. And I was kind of thinking, like, man, do you really want to smoke around those oxygen tanks? I mean, it seems like a bad idea. And she said, well, you know what happened is one time recently she was smoking. The, the fire got on the bed, and, and the bed caught on fire and actually burned her back. And, um, and the next day, you know, what does she do? Go back to the cigarettes. You see, that's what, and that's what kind of what sin is. It takes over, it just leads us to death, and we keep going there, and it, and it just is like an exorable path. It's like it burns us, it burns the bed to the ground, and we just go right back to it. It leads to death. We know it, we see it, but we keep on the path unless we're liberated by God. And so with all those things, it's like when we see sin is that which just leads to worse and worse wickedness. It leads to shame. It leads to death. Why would we even touch that thing? That is what he's saying here. But then he says, well, what about leading, uh, serving God? Well, he says it leads to holiness. Verse 22. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. Now, what is Holiness. And a lot of times people think of it primarily in terms of the things you don't do. That you are, are not engaged in certain activities or certain outward sins or not around certain people. And sometimes that's a manifestation, but that's not the heart of holiness. Holiness is separation unto God. And so a person who is holy is a person who trusts the Lord and a person who loves the Lord and a person who finds their hope in the Lord. And because of that, they live for him, they enjoy him, they serve him, and they find, they find their happiness and delight in the service of the Lord. That's what holiness is. It's, it's not just a negative, it's a positive that we find our hope and rest in God. And that's why hope and righteousness leads to joy and peace. Now, this is not specifically stated in this passage, but it's, it's here latently, it's here implicitly is that when we serve the Lord, 
Instead of leading to death and despair and shame, it leads to joy and peace. That's why at the end of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says that I pray that your hearts may be filled with joy, all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's holiness. We trust in him. It leads to joy and peace that then leads to a peace to others. So as he says in Romans 15, verse five, that you may with one heart and one mind glorify the God and father of the Lord as you together trust the Lord and find joy and peace in him. You see, that's what we were created for. We weren't created to be miserable. We weren't created to, to be depressed all the time. We weren't created to, to be a, a people who lived in despair. We were created to be a people of joy and peace. And what God does is when we re- get, have that holiness, it leads us back to that. And that's something that the world cannot give, but it's also something the world cannot take away. But also we see that righteousness and obedience is the path or is itself leads to and is eternal life. We see, look at verse 22. Now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So eternal life is not just living forever. You know, all souls live forever, either separated from God in hell or with God forever in the new heavens and and, and new earth. And there's two destinies, one following the path of sin, one following the path of obedience. But eternal life is not just living, is, is the positive side of that. It is the life of God that we live. It is fellowship with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what it means to live uh, a holy life. And so what God does is he liberates us now to begin a holy life that's devoted to him. And that becomes greater and greater and becomes a glorious life that is manifested in eternity. And that is the path of righteousness. To live in obedience to the Lord now is just to live as we are are going to live for all eternity. We're going to do whatever God says, and we're going to be happy about it. We're going to focus on him. We're going to love it. And that's the beginning of it now. And that's what he's saying is that holiness manifests itself in that eternal life. And so in light of that, then why would we not pursue those things? Those things that are leading to joy, to life, to holiness, to the best life we can possibly live. And that is what he says in verse 19. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. That's the idea. When we see the results, that also motivates us to want to move towards what is right and good. What is not shameful, what is not wicked, what is not leading to death, and move towards that which leads to holiness and joy and peace and life. But it's not easy. (laughs) That's what we got to understand. One of the reasons he's giving them this exhortation is because he knows that living the Christian life, living the eternal life that God has for us, living the holy life God has for us, not walking as a slave to sin, not walking in the way of death, not walking in the way of shame, is not an easy path. It's a sort of conquest. And there's a good illustration of that in the, in the story of the Exodus. Because the Exodus doesn't end with people just coming out of Egypt into, out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They have to go into the land of Canaan, and then they have to devote themselves to the Lord. They have to get rid of all the idols 
They have to fight for the place that God has given to them. And they have to make it a place that is a place where God is going to dwell. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a struggle. And that's what, and that's what it is for us. Sin has de- been dethroned. It's not going to have mastery over us, but it's still going to fight against us. We're not liberated. We're liberated from the dominion of sin, but we're not liberated from the presence of sin. And so we have to fight against us, against it, and sometimes against ourselves, right? (laughs) Verse 12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So there is a struggle. We're to offer our bodies as servants to righteousness. We're seeking to do what is good and just and right and holy. And that doesn't just mean for ourselves, but that we're to engage in seeking to bring about a just community in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our businesses, in our church, in our nation. We are engaged in that sort of battle. We're seeking to get everything aligned correctly in our lives. And the thing is, when we seek to do something that is good and right and just, it's not going to be easy. He's saying you have to offer your bodies as this. You have to almost conquer them, so to speak, because they're wanting to go in a different direction. And so if today you're finding, man, I'm trying to live for the Lord. I'm trying to do what's good. But man, I keep going in the wrong direction. or I keep failing or it's so hard. That's normal. That's part of it. You can't just say, I'm liberated, now I have nothing to do. We need to offer the uh, parts of our body to the service of the Lord. Even when our body wants to go in a different direction. Even when our hearts want to go in a different direction. We have those, that mindset that's pushing us to think differently than what we know God would have us to think. We're going to have to struggle against it. When we see ourselves falling into, into hatred and envy and pride and, and all sorts of other evil thoughts. When we see ourselves going back to the idol, it's going to be a battle. So don't be surprised if you're going to have to, be, to fight. You're going to have to engage in a conquest. You've been liberated from Egypt, but the conquest of Canaan remains. So I want to conclude with just giving you a little bit of advice on fighting the war. Besides the fact that recognize there is a war. <laughs> that is the thing. That is like so often the first step. We've got to say this is a battle. Things are not going to be easy. This life is not just going to be our place of rest. Our place of rest is the next life. This one is going to be a struggle. So first, begin by seeing yourself this way. As having been liberated so that you can fight the new battle. Verse 11 says... In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Say, I've died to sin, I'm alive to God. And that is where I am. But then second, think about your actions and emotions. Don't just do what you think. Don't say that I just feel what I feel. But recognize that these are reflective of your inward states and inward states that can be changed and conquered for the King of Kings. Reflect on what your life is. Ask yourself, what am I thinking? 
What is going on inside me? Ask yourself, why do I do this? What do I see? And try to understand not just the outward action that's simple, but also what's going on in the heart. Recognize that, that this, this, oper- this um, battle begins with our mindset. That how we think about the world. It begins with faith. Seeing with the eyes of faith will change the way we, we think of things. And that's where we need to begin. But then, sometimes, in this battle, we have to do something that is, um, you know, just just fighting and getting rid of stuff. And so, the, am I on three or four? Whatever the next one is. Um, remove the opportunities for sin. So, one of the things is remove the opportunities for sin. And what I mean by that is that if you're really, if you keep falling over and over into something then you might want to get yourself free from that. Now, the problem is sometimes people make some rules about that, that, um, that some rules about that that then become more important than the, the law of God. Each one of us has to sort of like deal with this as we're fighting it ourselves, and other people may have to fight it differently. So, for, for example, someone who, who may continually fall into to drunkenness and abuse alcohol may say, I'm not going to be drinking. Someone who misuses the Internet may say, I'm going to throw that out. You know, but that doesn't mean that the Internet is bad or alcohol is bad. It just means that we've got to say, hey, where am I falling into sin? When am I falling into sin? And I may have to remove some of those opportunities so that I can get clear. But then, fourth, I think we're on four, engage other, other people to help. Henry Cloud has a, has, a, has a helpful book called How People Grow. And in this, he has, he has, um, he has uh, a, a chapter called God's Plan A. And he was said that he struggled with a bunch of things and he tried to fight in them. He couldn't overcome them. And then he ended up living with a Christian couple. And then they talked to him about what he was struggling. And he was actually found himself able to make significant step forwards, significant steps forward. What he realized is a lot of times we think that God's Plan A is that we try to work on ourselves the best we can. And if we can't do that, then we get someone to help. But he says, no, God's plan A is that we work together in seeking to live a righteous life. It's not good for a man to be alone. That means that we're meant to work together in community. It, was good. it wasn't good before the fall. It's not good after the fall. It's a battle we fight together. So find people that can help you. Find people who will challenge you. Find people who will sharpen you. Find people who will question you. Find people that will encourage you and hold you accountable. And then, fifth, if you fall, keep fighting. If you fall, keep fighting. So that's one thing. It's so easy when when we see ourselves fail again. We see ourselves respond to people in the wrong way. We see ourselves overcome with pride again. um, That we say, man, I just, I, I can't do this. Well, the answer is yes, you can. Keep fighting. Don't rest there. And here's why. Not because you're so strong, but because he's so strong and you have the power of the Lord in you. And what the Lord says is that this is a fight that we can win. If we are in Jesus, we have something that is more powerful than sin. Where Jesus is, there sin must go. Where Jesus is, there is a power for righteousness. And so let's not rest And say, just because things didn't work out, just because I wasn't able to do what I thought I was able to do, just because I fell into that sin again, that therefore I'm done, keep fighting. 
Keep fighting. Keep moving forward. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. And the Lord is going to be with you. And that fight is one you're going to win. And you'll see that progress can be made. And as you fight, you'll see victories. And you'll see more victories. And you'll see, oh, there's new battles to fight. But you'll see movement forward. And what will ultimately happen is that battle that you fought on earth will be celebrated as a victory in heaven where the presence of sin will be done away with because the pursuit of holiness is one that leads to eternal life and the crown of glory. Thus may it be. Amen.